so we are in 1 John. We're making our way through in the scripture. And uh, it's interesting, just with the change of administrations this week, you hear about past administrations. And somewhere I was reading this great quote of President Reagan's. He was just a master communicator. Uh, President Reagan he had so many things. He said, these are the nine most terrifying words in the English language. If you're my age, you can remember what those were. He said, he often said that, the nine most terrifying words in the English language, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> that whenever you see, whenever, whenever you hear that, it's not always good things that, that follow, that follow that. So as a pastor, I can tell you that the seven, the seven scariest words that I hear are, well, you know what I think, or six, two, four, six words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll hear that a lot. You know, you'll hear that a lot from people. Well, you know what I think. You know, when you're, you're opening the word or you're speaking into someone's life or their situation or answering their question and it's not exactly the easy way or what they thought made sense or wherever that goes. And so, well, you know what I think. And so we're coming into 1 John. We're crashing into 1 John because John is, is trying to lift up what is our message, you know, in a world where there's so much... So many messages that are not true in, in, in a country like we're in now where, well, that's what you think, that's good, this is what I think. And whatever everybody thinks or whatever your opinion is is equal with everyone else's. What's our message? And how do we know that our message is, is true? And, and what, is, what is the real message? That's kind of where we're wrestling uh, in, the, in this series. What's real and what it is. Here's a great quote from A.W. Tozer. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, let that one just settle in a minute, huh? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because it's going to determine so much of how you live or, or what you think or, or, or what you do. And so one of the things that John is, is passionate about in, the, in this book is making sure that we understand what's real. And he's not afraid to point out what's false. We'll, we'll see that in, in a second. But those questions about what's real, what's true, what's fair, what's right, all of those bring you to, to 1 John. Those are the things he's wrestling with. John is going to, he's going to use the word lie uh, four times in the letter. He's going he's to call people liars five times. He's going to tell people that they're deceived three times. He's going, to, he's going to say what's true six times. He's going to say what's false one time. You add that together, that's 19 times he's going to speak to things like that in a five-chapter book, which gives you a sense of where his passion is or, or where his heart is and, and what it is he's writing the book for or what he's taking on in, in this letter that he's writing. Because he understands the place we need to get to, that when you open the, when you open the scriptures, all of your opinions and, and all that you think or I think or my convictions, they've all got to be cleared off the table because now, God, you're telling me what you think. And that, that reigns over whatever it is that I've thought. But we need to even wrestle that or, or, or clear the deck of things that, you know, those, those opinions we have, but even... Those things, well, you know, I've always thought. Those I need, I need to clear those off. Or I was always taught. Those of you that are Christian home kids that grew up in this, or, or those of you like me that got saved along the way, now you've been saved a long time, and you would say, well, but I was taught at one point. Pastor Ted and I have been talking about that a lot for about a year. These things that we were taught, and they just kind of been passed along. You never really stopped to check is this really true? Is this exactly what I think? Or where, where did this come from? I mean, I have things that the two pastors that pastored me when I was newly saved, that they taught, and they were, boy, they were godly men. They loved the word. They loved me. They loved whatever it was. But I just trusted them and never really went back into, okay, why, why do I believe that the, that the church won't go through the tribulation? Why do I believe these kind of things? So whenever I open the, whenever in the Word, I have to, you know, have to think, okay, God, this is what I always thought, but I, I just want to make sure that's true, or I want to give you permission to show me that that was a miss somehow in, in some way. I'm not talking about the major things, but some of, these, some of these tweaks that we make. 
Well, this is what I found. I'll hear that one. This is what I found. Okay, but you, you want to find that everywhere in the scripture, you know, because it's easy for any of us to find a verse that will validate what we want. I remember, you know, in seminary when you're finding all these things and you're just trying to keep yourself sane. There was a guy who, who was talking about, in Dallas, there were tons of buffet restaurants. It gave me a sense of what heaven was going to be like. Oh, he could go to, he could go to a Mexican buffet. In fact, there's this one Mexican restaurant we go to in, in Dallas where you go through the line, you get all your food, and then on your table, you had a, a Mexican flag on a flagpole. And when you wanted more, you just raised that little flag. And the waitress would come over and say, what would you like? I'd like three more enchiladas. I'd like a beef burrito. It was, I mean, awesome. It was just awesome. <laughs> Especially in the days before I was gaining weight. It was just awesome. It was like that. So, does anybody remember how I got there? Oh, we were in seminary. Okay. Yeah, we were in seminary. We were talking about all these buffets. And one of the guys said, well, you know, this is biblical because it says in the King James, Paul said, I buffet my body. You have to be old to remember that one. Yeah. So, Wow, that was a lot of time for a poor point, yeah. But, yeah, you can find a verse for anything. You want to make sure that what you're finding is represented everywhere. In the same way that if you find something new, you really want to, be, you want to double and triple check that because we're, we're a lot of centuries into people studying the Word. So that if you find something new, you might be... But you want to you make sure you find that in other places than just the one. So, so here we are. We're opening the word. We're opening the word that God put on John's heart, that God spoke through John, that God decided would be in the forever book because John was dealing with a moment where everything needed to be kept real, which is kind of how we're approaching First John. Keeping it real, keeping it right, keeping it true, keeping it consistent, all of those things that John is battling to do. Is he reliable? Is this a reliable book? That's really something that's being questioned a lot. People in the church, people outside the church. Is this real? We saw last week you've got an eyewitness, an ear witness, and a hand witness who are, who's telling you that I'm passing on to you exactly what I heard, saw, and touched. And it was so real to me. Remember we talked about that verb tense that it's like I'm still listening to Jesus right now. It's like I can still see him right now. And what I've seen, I'm testifying to. We saw that how strongly he put that last week and how he passed it on to us. And I want to speak to something that I hear once in a while too is that, well, I had questions that you just couldn't ask in church. I don't know what question that is because it seems like any question ought to be safe. I hope it caught a chill anyway that you feel like any question you have if you're wrestling with an area of your faith, that you'll feel free to ask that. Because our response is never going to be, I promise you, what's the matter with you? Seriously. Or whatever else you're afraid we might think of you. It's just we understand that at different times, for different reasons, we wrestle through. Maybe you just realize, man, I've always believed the Bible was inspired by God, but I'm not really sure why. Can you help me with that? That's a good question to ask. So, so I hope that any question is a safe question to, to ask here. Yeah, I mean, Chris Grant, if you're watching, you certainly get that. You can, you've asked whatever, whatever question you want and whatever question seemed out of things. It was just people on their way to understand who God is and what his word is. And so here's John, and he, he's taking on those things. He's going to tell you those things. How important is this to John? This isn't like Second Peter. In Second Peter, Peter says, I know I'm going to die soon, and so I just want to remind you of everything that I've told you before. That's, that's a kind of, I'm about to die, I'm handing off to you. John is writing more in the sense that there are all these attacks being made on the truth, and I am here to beat those, beat those attacks back. That's the sense you get in First John. The truth is being assaulted, and I am writing to beat back false teaching. You know, false teaching, we have, to, we have to understand that there are different convictions. There are, there are people within the body of Christ and with the evangelical movement who have different convictions. Uh, I have a friend, I was just at, a, at an ordination paper reading and he was presenting his position. He, he, he understands that the church will go through the tribulation. You know, I have a different conviction, but that's not false teaching. That's different convictions. False teaching is that 
is that the scripture is not the word of God, that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that Jesus is the only way towards salvation. When you start to add to salvation, now you've moved into the area of false teaching. You, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus and get baptized. That's false teaching because now you've tweaked the gospel in that. So John sees these things as we go through it. These things are false and we need to understand them as false. And that's why his, his language is so strong. He's beating those things back. We were warned that when we got near the end, we get closer and closer to Jesus coming, that there would be fall, more and more false teaching. So look what he says in, in 1 John in chapter 2. He kind of points that out to, to his readers. You get a sense of how passionate he is by how strong the words are he uses, but also how tender the words are that he uses. So he says in chapter 2 and verse 18, Children, it is the last hour. You know, we're getting near the end. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. He's speaking about false teachers there. You need to know it's the last hour. We know the Antichrist is coming, but in these days, we're seeing a lot of anti-Christs. You know, people who are, who are opposing what Jesus has done or who Jesus is, and that's going to be the course through the book. So what is real and what is true and how important is that to John? And so look how he starts in chapter 1 and verse 5, where we pick up this morning. How directly he just starts this. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. I mean, there are times in, in Scripture, like we, saw, we said when we started this series, and we started in chapter 5, when scripture, a book of the Bible doesn't tell you exactly why it's written. You have to piece that together by, by reading through it over and over, studying it or whatever, watching how things flow. John came right out and told us, I have written these things that you might know you have eternal life. Written those things to believe, you who believe in the name of Jesus that you might know you have eternal life. This is the message. To put it this, this out in the open and grammatically, it's incredibly emphasized. This is the message. It's like... You know, that's like red lights going off. This is what I'm trying to say to you. This is what I'm about to write to you about. This is what I'm making sure we don't mess up. So he really drives you into that. Quite a, it's quite a buildup. In fact, we haven't really gotten to the message yet. All of this is buildup to what John is trying to say to us. This is the message we heard from him. So you know it's source. You know it's reliable. It's come from Jesus and proclaimed to you you've got an eyewitness who's passing this on to you, that God is light. That's the message. But, but in our culture, so important not to miss that second part of it, and in him is no darkness at all. That's the message. If John puts everything in the book together under one thing, that's what he would say it is. That our message is God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then all these commentators will write, well, what is light? What is he talking about? What's, what's he using the image of light for? And there's different things that light represents. Predominantly in scripture, one of the lead things that light is used for is to reveal. It's, it's used to illuminate. You know, you walk into somebody's house and you walk into a room and the lighting's not good and you might say to them, how do you even see in here? Why? Because it needs more light so you can see what's in there. That's going to be a, a huge term for John. He's going to use light in this gospel six times, in this letter six times. In the gospel, he referred to light 24 times. Just as trying to show that we are living in, a, in darkness and God has sent this light, Jesus would say that, right? I'm the light of the world, to illuminate who he is and, and who we are and, and what's the way forward. You know, the false teachings that John is going to deal with, one of them is that God is unknowable. It was kind of the birth of what would become this heresy of Gnosticism, that there was a higher knowledge and, and that you needed to do all these things to get to God or to be able to understand him. Or he was unknowable. So know is going to be a, a key word through the Gospel of John, that he can be known, that if he's light, he's revealing himself. In fact, I came across one quote in, in a commentary. It said, God's nature is such that he has to make himself known. He just, he, it's his nature to make himself known. 
It's not his nature to hide or to be evasive or elusive. You know, those seasons in your life, and who hasn't been through them, when you're trying to figure out where, God, where are you in this? Or maybe you're in the Psalms, God, are, are you even nearby me anymore? Those things, it's his nature to reveal himself. You know, to call out to people. He calls out to Abraham. He calls out to Samuel. It's his nature to reveal who he is and, and what he's doing and, and what your part is in that. That's, that's just where he is. So one, of the, one part of the heresy was that God is unknowable. Another part of the heresy was that, that you have matter, you have the material world and the immaterial world, the spiritual world. And those two things, they cannot intersect. That material things, the material world, y- your physical body, the physical earth is sinful and evil. And so it can't have anything to do with the immaterial world. And so those two things are separate, which would lead them, some, some of them, to, to understand that it doesn't matter what I do with my body because my spiritual, my spiritual me is disconnected from my body. And so you, you can see where that would go, but you also see where that would go theologically, that there's no way that you could have a God-man. And so through John, he's going to say, if anyone says Jesus has not come in the flesh, it's because of the, that was part of the heresy that they were dealing with that Jesus hadn't come as a true human, human being. And the problem with that is if you don't have a true human being, you don't have a true human savior. So you have to have those two parts. You have to have a God-man to be the savior, savior of men. So God is light. Him is no darkness at all. John is he's t- taking on those false teachings, but he's also letting us know that God wants to be known. He's made himself known. He's revealed himself so that we can know him. I'm going to walk you through some of the Old Testament uh, verses that kind of anticipated that. In Isaiah, or in Psalm 82, it looks at us. It says, they have neither knowledge or understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So to be in darkness is, is to, be, to be without knowledge or, or with any kind of understanding. In Isaiah, you have Isaiah 9 that's quoted about it's quoted in Matthew 4 about the, the coming in person of Jesus. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Why, why would they quote it in Matthew 4? Because now here is the light who's come into the world to just to, to, to make God known. In John 8, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That he's come and wherever he is and whatever he speaks, he brings light into darkness. Or a little later on in John, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is, this is why I've come. You have these great I am statements in, in John. So in Thessalonians, but you are not of the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. We're not going to tell that person thing. We want to leave them in the dark. Don't we say that? And that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. That's what God is saying. You're not in darkness. You're not in the land of not knowing that the day of Jesus' coming should surprise you. So, so John writes and he says, God is light. He's revealed himself. He's, he's knowable. Light reveals itself. It exposes itself. I want you to turn to, turn to the beginning of the Gospel of John with me because I want you to see John do this there and then to, to watch Jesus apply it. In the opening verses of John, whether you're turning there in your Bible or your device, it says in John 1, 4, in him was life, he's, he's speaking of Jesus, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it speaks that John, the coming of John the Baptist in verse 6. And in verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, now follow down to where John's going to connect that to knowing God. He says in verse 18, we saw this last week, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So light has come in to penetrate our to penetrate our darkness. It's come in to, to reveal who we are and who God is. If you're, if you're in the Gospel of John, let's turn to chapter 3. We, we have Jesus meets Nicodemus. He meets him at night. 
And, and Nicodemus says, we know you've come from God. You know, we're, we're trying to understand you. We're trying to figure this out. I don't know if you watch the Chosen series at all, but yeah, I, love how, I love how they're just walking through that Nicodemus part of the story and just showing him wrestling so much with what he's seeing and what he's been, what he's been brought up with to believe. So look in, in John 3, in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. That last part, whoever does what's true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen. It might be clearly seen. There's that element of light that just, uh, that just reveals and that brings knowledge. So when you open the word, the light is revealed. You're taken from darkness of not understanding. Remember we saw a verse last week that before we were saved, we're darkened in our understanding. Now having come to faith in Jesus, we understand and we can understand the word. And when we open the word, we see light. It, it says in, uh, in Psalm 119, 130, it talks about when you open the word, when you see the word, there's light there. I memorized that in the King James a long time ago. It says, the entrance of your word giveth light. That when your word is opened and when I step into it, then there's light and I can see. I can see who I am. I can see who you are. I can see why I'm here. I can see what you have for me. I can see who I am in Christ now. I can see all of those things because that's what light does. It reveals. And you, you just, every time you open the word, you find yourself in John 3. What the word revealing today, am I going to run from to stay out of its light? Or am I going to step into it so that it can show me what's really there, whether I like what I see or whether I don't like what I see, whether I find it hard to believe what I see or whether it's easy to believe, whether I find something that restores my hope or whether I find something that just seems like it's too impossible for me to do or to be. That's what the word does. So you can know God. It really leaves men without excuse because God has even put light, he says, in creation in Romans 1. He says that creation is such that people everywhere can see that there is a God and that he lives in majesty and power. Then, then Romans takes you to say that people everywhere have enough light, enough exposed light, that in their conscience, they know that they are violating a law without ever having, knowing God's law or knowing God's word, that there's something inside all of us that God has put to reveal himself, that he's there. So, so everyone... Everyone is without excuse. So all you think of needs to be cleared when you come to the word. That God, you're God and, and you're truth and you're light. So whatever it is you want to correct or show me or affirm or stretch me, here I am. You know, here I am. I'm, I'm there. Can you understand now why the scripture will tell you that you're to be changed, to be transformed? How? By the renewing of your mind. Because if you can change what you believe about life and you and others and God, your life is going to be changed as you build yourself around that. So, so here's John. He has this huge buildup. This is my message. My message to you is that God is light and, and in him there is no darkness at all. He's revealed himself to us so that we can know him and we can know him through the word and we have to come to know him through, through his word. And then he does say the, that, that sister side of what it means to be light, that God is light and that he is pure and holy, that he is removed from us, but he's not, it's not an, a distance that we can't cross anymore. And that's the beauty of what Jesus has done is that he's, he's bridged that distance for us, that God is true, he is pure, he is holy. This is kind of John's version, it seems like, of the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. That Peter will say, this is what God has told us, so we have to be holy the way he is holy. But then you get people, and, and maybe some of our stories have been that way. People think, okay, I've got to be holy. I've got to be holy. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to be holy. Where scripture is telling you, you are holy. You just have to live that out. You just, it's much, a lot less pressure to believe that you've put the Holy Spirit in me. So if I allow him to, he's going to transform me and make me holy like you make my experience 
holy like you. It's like if you picked up on what Ted was praying, Pastor Ted was praying earlier, we are these things. We're just trying to make them our living reality. So that, that clarity with him. You know, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the Lord and it has this awesome vision of him and the angels all around him are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Then you get into the closing letter, the closing book of the Bible in Revelation. John sees this. He says, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full, are full of eyes all around and within. Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. That is the refrain of heaven whenever God is around. He's holy, holy, holy. Not just once, but the three times just to, to bring such emphasis to that, that he's right and, and true and pure. In the gospel, the Holy Spirit will be called holy, clearly. Jesus will be called holy, and the Father will be called holy. Because John understands who it is he's dealing with. He understands who it is that's come for us and, and what he's like and how we need to, to latch on to that. So light and dark are going to be a theme through 1 John. It's 13 times he's going to refer to who's in the light and who's in the darkness and how that, go, how that goes. And if you're living in a Greek world, this is new stuff to you because if you've read Greek mythology or you'll know that the Greek gods, you wouldn't necessarily call them pure and holy and right and true and fair. I mean, among the Greek gods, there was, there was jealousy and immorality and revenge and pettiness, all of those things that you hope God is not alike. Because part of you, as uncomfortable as we get with God sometimes, that God, you are so different than me. That's also comforting to know, I'm so thankful you are so different than me. I'm so thankful you just didn't wake up this morning in a bad mood. Don't you wrestle with that sometimes? You know, marriage is very good for bringing that, you know, for kind of confronting that. You know, you, you get up, you think you're doing all right in the morning, and the person on the other side of the breakfast table says, what's the matter with you today? Or, some, you know, some super gracious way of putting that that we all do have. Yeah. Stephen Bev will be up here to pray with those of you that say it not so kindly afterwards. But you know how that is? You just wake up and... And you're not even aware. I'm not even aware that I'm a little off. Unless Cindy says to me, you know, what's up? Or what's, what's on your mind? Or what's the matter with you? Or depending on how she's woken up, I guess that determines how much grace that's said with, huh? You know, you know it's a bad day when you're both getting up like that. Aren't you so thankful God doesn't wake up that way? Chandler, I'm going to teach him a lesson today. Wow. That would be tough. What does he say? His mercies anew every morning. Yeah. You know, I remember, and I, I, I was this often, I remember, you know, just when, yeah, when one of, one of our kids was a teenager and just such a challenge to us. And I'm in, in the bathroom in the morning and getting ready to shave. And it, seriously, I just sensed the Lord say to me, you know, my, my mercies are new every morning. And just thinking, God, thank you so much for that. And then having him say, can you give this child new mercy every day? That was, as a parent, what a great word because that's what that child needed. He just needed to know because they were aware. They were aware of what's going on. So what a good thing to know. You're waking up every morning with new mercy. You're waking up every morning and he's still glad that, you, that he adopted you. You read people's stories who've been adopted and then they find out their adoptive family doesn't want them anymore. God never wakes up having changed his mind about you. He never wakes up and he says, man, I'm, I'm really sorry, but Chandler needs so much extra grace that I've got to take some from you and give it to him. You know, that he's always limitless. He's got, when you cry out, God, you've got to give me strength. Sorry, I had to give Chandler so much today. You know? That he wakes up every day, he's omnipotent. That he's just, he is who he is, who he is, who he is. He'll always be the same, and he's going to be perfect. And those areas of who he is that make us uncomfortable, that's a good uncomfortable for us, for us to be in. So unlike the Greek gods, 
And so you understand why John is he's going to fight so hard so that, so that they have a, a true understanding of who our God is and why it was going to be so important to God that he put it in the forever book so that it will always be there. God, think about this, that he's without sin in any way at any time for all time. Think about that. He's without sin at any time, uh, in any way, in any time, for all time. He's never going to have a bad reaction to you. In fact, part of his nature is immutability. He cannot change. So if he, if he does change, he's violating his own nature. He can't do that. He can't do that. So John is saying, here's our message. Our message is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He didn't have to say that thing apart. In fact, I was thinking, there's only a few places in Scripture where it comes right out and tells us where God, what God is, that God is spirit. Jesus said, later on in John, John's going to say God is love. But in none of them will, will they ever circle back and say the opposite like he does here. That God is light, in him is no darkness. So that his readers in that day wouldn't think that there's any shred to him like their gods that they've come from or that they would never have to worry about him changing. That, yeah, man, I want to say that one more time because I want to circle back to, to something that I think is important. That there, he, he, there's no sin, he's without sin in any way, at any time, for all time. Let's talk for a second about getting angry with God because that's something often people ask me about or I'll hear people talk about. If you have been in a discussion the last week, I'm not picking up on this on purpose. It's just out of the passage. That when you get angry with God, you're laying an accusation at him. That God, you haven't done what's right and you haven't done what's fair or, or you're not treating me well. That's an accusation. Nobody intends to make an accusation like that, but when you feel like you have a right to be angry with him, that's where you're going with that. Do you have a right to be frustrated with his plan? Yeah. Do you have a right to be frustrated with his timing? You do. Now you're in the Psalms, where the Psalm writer will say, God, where are you? I've been crying. You know, my tears have been uh, on my bed all night. One of the Psalm writers says, I don't see you. Why aren't you judging? Why aren't you doing this? You can, you can question. I don't even know where I heard this the first time. I just love this line. This guy said, you can question God as long as you don't have a clenched fist. Is that good? I mean, God can take the questioning, but you cross the line when you clench the fists and now you start demanding. That's where Job went. Job went from questioning now to demanding, God, you need to give me a hearing in court because I would show you that what you've done is wrong. And, and what happens? God shows up and says, let me just ask you a few questions before we do that, Job, and gives him a couple chapters of, do you know where this is? Do you know how this works? Have you ever seen this? Do you know this? Do you know why I do this? And at the end of it, Job says, I have spoken of things that are beyond me, and I repent. So, so I just want to say that as a caution, because God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And, and when he deals with you in your life, there, he's light, and there is no darkness at all in that. So... Pour out your heart to him, like the psalm says. Pour out your heart. God, I'm so frustrated and I'm so scared and whatever that is. Just don't move to anger against him. Don't move to anger. You don't want to move to anger against him because that's an accusation. So he's light and him is no darkness at all. And so watch where the, the context slides back in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. That you can't be living in the darkness and be connected to him. Or he goes on in, in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That if you deny your sinfulness, you can't be connected to him. I think it makes sense. Uh, my, I remember my pastor saying that in verse 8, you have, if we say we have no sin, he seems to be speaking of your sin nature, that, that there's nothing sinful about you, that I believe man is essentially good. That's kind of what that is, where the scripture teaches no man's essentially evil and God is rescuing him from that. And what does John say? We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, there's acts of sin, 
we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That you can't deny sinful acts and be connected to him. Now look at these words that John uses here as consequences. He says uh, at the end of verse 6, we don't practice the truth. He says at the end of verse 8, the truth is not in us. At the end of verse 10, his word is not in us. These are salvation. This is salvation context of people, things that people are saying. And maybe, as we saw in chapter 2, maybe some of the people that were in their church. But John's pointing out, you can't say these things and be connected to God. You can't say that I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm, my life is in darkness, but I'm okay. You can't say that I don't have a sin nature, that, that I'm inherently good. You can't say that, you know, that I haven't done acts of sinfulness and be connected to God. The truth isn't in, it's not in there. Some of you are wrestling with, you know, I hope you're going to say something about verse 9 if we confess our sins because who doesn't sin? And, and I want to pick that up next week. But he's not talking about, you know, being in the light, walking in the light, and, and occasionally sinning. He's talking about people whose lives are defined by darkness and yet who want to say that they're connected to Jesus. And you and I run into those people all the time, you know. Hey, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I, I had, used to have a, a girl cut my hair. That was, she's great, and we'd have great conversations. She loved Jesus, and she loved to follow her pagan religion. Those were really interesting conversations we had. And, and she was genuine, genuine. She loved him. Yep, he's the way, the truth, and the life. But, you know, this weekend I went to a pagan festival and I did this and trying to put those things together. That's what John's talking about. That you can't be in darkness and claim to be in light. And so, so those things, this is the message that he's coming back to us for. That God is light and in, in him is no darkness at all. Salvation starts with God is light. I want you to hear that. Salvation starts with God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God's salvation is driven by love. It's driven, he has to do something in himself because he's loving. God's so love of the world. But you don't get to love in John, in 1 John, until chapter 4. You crash into light in chapter 1. Why is that? Because you need to know that you're living in darkness so that you can, you can appreciate your need to be saved. That's the starting point of salvation, is you need to be saved because your life is in darkness and God is a God of pure light. But he loves you so much that he sent his son as a remedy for that. That's, that's important for us to, to not to miss the light part of salvation and jump to love. I mean, they're constant and God lives in perfect balance. But it's just important that Light, me, like, light brings me to be guilty. Love draws me to, to be saved. It's important that, that people walk through that. Here's his message, and he makes it so clear, and right at the beginning of the book, hey, everything that I've seen and I heard and I've touched, I'm going to pass on to you. Here's the message that God is light and him is no darkness at all. So, so let me just get, talk about some takeaways in this. and you know, To finish up, there we go. Yeah, here's the takeaway, that God is securely God. We don't think about this too much, but it's important periodically to come back to or maybe just to affirm that you live with this, that the God of the Bible, he will always be the same. He is securely God, who he is and where he is. And that, that no matter what changes in the world or in your life, he's still God. You know, from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. Or God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear even if, and he goes through all of these worldwide catastrophes, God's securely God. That God has revealed who he is. That you don't have to decide who God is based on your life experience. Your life has been good, and so God is good. Your life has been terrible, and so God is not a good God. That he's revealed who he is. And he's even revealed through people's lives who were good and blessed, or people's lives that were hard, how he shows up in those lives and how good he is in those lives. Here's, a, here's another takeaway for us, that God is light. He is pure light. That's super important so that I and so that you, that we don't tamper with that and we don't make him 
well, I think he'd be okay with this. I know he says it's wrong, but I think he'd be okay with this. In him is no darkness at all. So you just have to allow him to define sin. It's not funny, he says, if we say this, his word's not in us because his word tells us what is right and wrong. And then one other, ty- one other takeaway, God invites everyone into that light. He invites us all into that light. All of our stories were darkness. Whether you were super religious, growing up just in a different religion, you didn't understand the gospel, he invites all of us into light. Or whether your life was so dark that you can't believe God could even see you, he invites us all into that light. So, so our t- two applications out of that, isn't it, isn't it that you've got to make sure that you're that you are walking, that your experience is in the light? I mean, it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. I want to touch on that next week because it's interesting. The fellowship is not so much with him as with each other. We're always in fellowship with God. Just we want our experience to be reflecting that. So, so I want to look at my life. You want to look at your life and make sure your experience is in the light and that you're not shading that at all. Because that's hard, or because you know you're in you're in a sin that's enjoyable. You're in a relationship. You know God isn't really God isn't for, but it's a relationship, or wherever that goes, or financially, or time wise, or whatever that is. As followers of Jesus, we have to make sure that our following is in the light. And then you know if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've not come, you know if you're one of those many on live stream that just checking this thing out from a safe distance. You need to hear John say that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But he's speaking into your darkness and offering you a way to come into light through Jesus. What a good God. What a great plan. Let's pray. Father, thank you that verses like this, passages like this, you are light and in you is no darkness at all. That you don't give us those, those verses to just point out how dark we are. You don't delight, you don't delight in that. But that you are who you are, you live in unapproachable light, the scriptures say. And then you do invite us into that. You, you allow us to experience the Holy Spirit to, to make us holy like you are holy and then to empower us to live holy like you are holy. And so God, I just, I just want to pray that over our lives I want to pray that over those, Lord, who are just so discouraged by how much failure they still see in their life. Thank you that you are able in this moment and you are as faithful and as committed and as ready to go as ever in their lives. That You don't get discouraged on your side of that equation. And so I pray that, I just want to pray encouragement and I want to pray, God, just a renewed, renewed surrender to, to those, Lord, who just feel like life is, is a losing battle. It's not. It's not with you. I pray that they would, they would allow you to, to bring light to what it is that they might be doing to hinder what you're trying to do or that brings about failure. I want to pray for those, God, who are just so confused about who you are. All of us, we came into this with a, a, a concept of who you are based on life. And would you set people free from that, that you can be defined by who you are according to your terms and according to your word? and that you can, you can help interpret life from your point of view instead of our point of view. I want to pray, God, for those who are just seeking. We feel like they're in the dark, and they're just seeking. Where is that light? Is that light biblical Christianity? I pray you would draw them into that, Lord, that they'd investigate, that they'd be in the Word, that they would see what else John had to say about the light of the world, who is the Savior of the world. We're so thankful that you have taken care of, of sin, that we're no longer in darkness. So help us walk, especially in this generation, which you call so dark. Help us to walk in this generation in light. Not light that blinds people and drives them away, but light that's an attractant and that shows the way. So to that we surrender ourselves, to your goodness and your purpose. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together and we'll just worship him on our way out.
Hey, we just take that confidence out to our world, you know, to your world and to your week. It'd be okay. Hey, this is in 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul's talking about how, how good it was for Moses, how much better it is for us in these days. And Moses would meet with God, and his face would just light up and radiate, and then after a while it would kind of dim back down. But he says to us, now this, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory and the light and the brilliance of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes not from you gutting it out. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, Lord, just we pray that we, we on our side would give you the freedom to do that, that we could experience that to your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, Steve and Bev are going to be up here to pray with those of you that have burdens or, you know, season in your marriage. Maybe it's good to have a seasoned married couple pray over you. People aren't going to think that you're having trouble or with children or whatever that burden is. Take advantage of the opportunity and have a great week serving the Lord.